Amen. All right, so you guys uh, probably have seen a movie recently or heard there's a movie out with a, uh, a, a little bit of excitement around it. Uh, the world's a little excited about uh, a movie with tiebacks to back in the day. But you guys know the phrase, right? I feel the need. I feel the need. The need for what? Yes, that is what we were told in 1980-whatever when <laughs> Top Gun uh, was released. And we still identify with that. It's why Americans flock to theaters to see, you know, these high-flying jets fly at Mach 10, Mach 8, Mach 9, and do incredible things. It's pretty amazing when you think about the speed at which we now travel compared to just a couple of hundred years ago. Because really, up until a couple hundred years ago, Humans moved at the speed of humans or horses or, right? We still talk about horsepower. When humans moved at a different speed for thousands of years than we move today. And I think we get sort of addicted to our speed. We get addicted to the adrenaline that comes from speed. We get addicted to... I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're in a series called Soul Care 2.0. And what we're talking about are spiritual habits that help us deepen our connection to Jesus Christ. And as we make our way through this today, I simply want to acknowledge that speed is probably normal in your life. So normal that to slow down feels like you're doing something bad. To slow down feels like you're doing something inefficient, ineffective. To slow down feels like you're drowning, that your head can't stay above water, that you can't keep up. We feel the need and feel the need for speed. You know the feeling, don't you? That you're going so fast that you're not quite sure where you're going and where you're coming from. You know that feeling, don't you? That feeling that you're going so fast that, that you're not sure if you're going to be able to stay afloat. Did I pay that bill or did I not pay that bill? Am I on top of it? Am I not on top of it? You know the feeling, don't you? The feeling that, I, I mean, it's, it's high flying. The, the feeling of speed is... And, you guys do know when I say speed, I'm talking about pace of life, not something else, right? The feeling of speed is sort of addicting. It's fun. I mean, roller coasters, if you think about it, are enjoyable for a little bit. <laughs> now, you can put me on those old wooden roller coasters all day long, you know, like, and I'm good. You get me on the corkscrew roller coaster, and I'm done in about 10 seconds. You know the feeling, don't you, that you're going, life is going super fast, and you're tired, and maybe even you're more than tired, you're exhausted. You feel like you're not sure where your soul is because you're going so fast. You know that feeling? The question I'm going to ask today is, why is it 
that life feels like that. Like, like you've lost your soul when you've given in to the addiction to speed. Why is it that the faster we live our lives, the less we're able to deeply connect with what life is truly and really all about? And I think the answer is fairly simple. The need for speed is fun, but living at warp speed warps the soul. On September 21st, 1956, an F-11, F-1 Tiger supersonic jet shot itself down. Do, I, do we have one of those? Is there a... Yeah. I've never flown one of these. Looks kind of cool. Looks pretty fun, right? I've only watched stuff like this in the movies. They were doing a supersonic test flight test, and this, not this particular jet, but one similar to it, shot itself down while conducting test firings off eastern Long Island by running into the projectiles, the cannon shells, that it had fired only seconds before. We really can move too fast. We would identify, I think, with Job, who said, Job 9.25, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. By the way, Job is a little older than a couple of hundred years ago. Technology's not the only game in town that makes life get faster and faster. Have you noticed? I was talking with Jack Kirkham this week. Many of you know Jack. Jack and I were talking about how life just gets faster and faster and faster and faster. He said the odd thing about that is that he remembers his parents telling him that. Jack's 80-something now. His parents told him that in 19... Ancient? I love Jack. I care deeply about Jack and Mary. Life's always had a certain speed to it. And the pressure from a human standpoint is always to go faster. In fact, most of us buy into one of the great American myths. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this in your notes with me today. One of the great American myths. Here it is. If I could just squeeze more into my days, then I'd finally feel like I can slow down. What will it take for me to be able to slow down? Well, I got to get a little more efficient. You know this game, don't you? I'm going to read some, you know, the four-hour work week. Like that's possible. I'm, I'm going to read some productivity books. I'm going to find a way to squeeze more in. If I can just be more efficient, if I can just be more effective, if I can just get a little more done, then I'll finally be able to slow down. How much more is a little more? Well, more than I've gotten done now. How much is a little more? It's like saying... Just a little more. More money, more work, more recognition, more fulfillment, more achievement, more accomplishment. I mean, truth is, as Americans, largely... We're addicted to a lot of things. One of those things is our work. And I'm not against an old-fashioned work ethic. Don't mishear me. 
I'm, I'm not touting laziness, but this is just the problem. We, slay, we say, I need to slow down, and we immediately think I'm being lazy, as though that's a foregone conclusion. You know, Jesus had busy days too. I don't know if you recognize that, but Jesus was demanded much over time. Luke chapter 4 gives us a good example of this. Let me just give you a quick overview, and then we're going to read Luke chapter 4, at least part of it, together. Luke 4 opens, the gospel of Luke opens with Jesus in chapter 4 being sent by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. You remember that? Right? You might remember he fasted when he did that. So he fasts for 40 days, no food, tempted by the devil. He immediately goes to Galilee and back home to Nazareth, where he preaches in the synagogue, but is squarely rejected by the people of his hometown, so much so that they chase him out of town. Do you remember that story? So Jesus goes from there to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught, and he healed, and then he healed many, and then he healed more, and then picking it up, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Simon, by the way, I mean, I would take this. If, if Simon has a mother-in-law, Simon was married. So that whole Peter, first pope, popes aren't married. I'm just saying that our logic has to hold up at times. So Simon, Simon's mother-in-law suffering a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her. He bent over. He rebuked the fever. It left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. And it's people brought to Jesus all the various, all who had various kinds of sickness. So you just get the picture at sunset. The day is ending. He's, he's had, I'm not saying this happened the same day that he left that fasting and temptation in the wilderness, but he has that intense season. He moves on to his hometown. He is rejected by the people there. He moves on to Capernaum. He is welcomed by the people there. And we're going to see in a second, he, from his hometown, he was chased out of town. They wanted to kill him, literally, it says. When he gets to here, where Capernaum, where Simon lives, he is chased to come back to town. It's sunset. It's the end of the day. Actually, in their way of thinking, it's the beginning of the next day. So the day has already changed, and he is still healing and healing and at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you're the son of God. But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. Which to us seems kind of odd, because today we're commanded to speak that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. But but everything had a proper time, and Jesus was unveiling who he was, and the demons knew in fact, the devil and the demons have always known who he is. Now get this. 
At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. I'm just going to pause there. He went out. In the original language, it says he left and went out to a desolate place, to a solitary place. In fact, our way of saying it might be he left and went away. This was a conscious, intentional choice. It sounds like it's just communication, communicating place and time. That it, okay, it was daybreak, and then he moved on. Okay, what's the big deal? Get back to the good stuff. But this is the good stuff. It is communicating to us that Jesus intentionally left the crowd and went away to a solitary, to a desolate place. And the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. And he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So at some level, I'm telling us that this is about Jesus' calling to preach the gospel. And we, we can acknowledge that. We can see that. At some level, this is about the calling of Jesus to share the good news that the kingdom of God is near. This is about Jesus sharing that the kingdom of God is near because the king of the kingdom is near. But tightly wrapped in the middle of this story was that little sentence at daybreak. Right? Daybreak is, is not sun up, it's light up. First sign of light, Jesus leaves the crowd. Jesus leaves the noise. Jesus leaves Simon and Simon's mother-in-law and everybody else. And he finds a place to be alone. I would just note for us that the Savior of the world, the Son of God, couldn't do it all. And he could do what God commanded him to do. I don't mean he's limited as God, but I do mean he's limited as human. That Jesus, the Savior of the world, needed and prioritized solitary time. Not solitary confinement, but intentional purposeful pulling away from the crowd and the noise and i find weird comfort in this but jesus the savior of the world couldn't make everyone happy in fact he never was trying chased out of town by one group he is chased back to town by another can you imagine the pressure jesus was going through this little story teaches me a couple of a couple of truths, a couple of principles that help regarding soul care and life speed. Principle number one, times of intense serving. And those are commanded by God. In fact, we'll talk about servanthood and serving next Sunday on Father's Day, and I'd love to have you here for Father's Day. But times of intense serving need to be followed by seasons of unintense slowing. Notice that Jesus served hard, and notice that he recovered well. 
And you might think, Brian, I think you're overreaching the story a little bit. I mean, it just says at daybreak, he went somewhere. That's all it's telling us. But you'll see in a second, this is a pattern of Jesus that he lives over and over and over. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that not only does Jesus work on slowing, sometimes he just stops. That's called the Sabbath. We'll come to that a couple of Sundays from now. But times of intense serving need to be followed by times of unintense slowing. Ask the prophet Elijah. Ask, ask David when he was too preoccupied with the busy things. He got too preoccupied with himself. Ask the many others throughout the scripture who went and went and went and went and went, but found themselves in a place where, humanly speaking, they couldn't keep going anymore. Where they wanted to cry out to God and say, God, I'm just done. This is not a new problem. But if I'm honest, the technology we live with today doesn't help. Because the technology we live with, right, news of this very live stream are carried around the world in real time. That's insane if you think about it. The amount of information that can travel the world in an instant. What is the speed of the internet? I don't know. I go to speedtest.net and I see, you know, some gig of something or other. What's the speed of your car? Some of you know what the top speed of your car is. Whether you should or shouldn't, it's a different story. What's the speed of your soul? Here's what I can just about guarantee. There will be moments where Jesus calls you to incredible servanthood and incredible sacrifice. And there'll be moments where you're just going and going and going. And you'll get to a point if you don't slow down and stop along the way that you say, I just feel like I'm going to crash. And actually, what we do in our humanness is we just re-up the speed. I feel the need, need for speed, and we just sign back up again. Which leads me to the second principle of soul care about life's speed. And I wrote in my notes that busyness, beside that, I, I penciled this in, hurry is the enemy of spiritual growth. <laughs> that scripture is going to teach me throughout the Bible that there is a deep connection between my ability to refresh and renew and rest and my ability to relate well with God. Warren Wiersbe once wrote that the ability to calm your soul and wit before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless. The world around us is frantically in a hurry, but a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. There's actually a connection. I, I told you when we started, I, I asked, you know the feeling where you've been going so fast that you feel like you've lost your soul? There's actually a connection biblically between the word soul or spirit and the word breath. In fact, I mean, both 
major languages of the Bible reflect this. The Hebrew word for soul is the word nefesh, and it means soul or life, as in when God made Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathed life into him. I'm talking about nefesh. There's a connection. The word soul and the word breath are the same. In the Greek, we find the same thing. The word spirit in the Greek language is the word pneuma, and it means soul or spirit or, again, breath. There's actually a connection between catching our breath and catching our souls. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that one of the greatest disadvantages of hurry is that it takes such a long time. Dallas Willard, the great spiritual writer, once wrote that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. There's this old tale, and I'm not sure it's really true, but it makes a good story, so I'm going to tell it. But I've heard it told in the context of South African tribesmen, of Himalayan Sherpas, or Inca tribesmen, which is why I'm not so sure that it's not just a tale, a parable of sorts. But let me recount for you. Someone from our part of the world once had to venture deep, deep into the backside of Africa or South America or wherever it was for work. And this Westerner had many things that had to get from one location to another to get the job done. And so this Westerner hired a bunch of tribesmen to help him get to where he needed to go deep within the wilderness. And so these tribesmen picked up all of the stuff and they were making their way through and they made good progress and goals for the expedition were being achieved and it was busy and productive. And one day, these tribesmen just stopped. And for no obvious reason, suddenly nothing was happening. And this man from our part of the world became frustrated because he didn't understand why suddenly we were wasting time. Suddenly, we were not meeting his agenda. Suddenly, we had forced a sense of waiting, and he was losing his timetable and eventually not being able to stand it any longer. He demanded the reason for the delay, and these tribesmen said, we've been moving too fast, and we need to wait for our souls to catch up. Maybe it's just a tale, but I still think it has some truth underneath it. That a lot of us crash because we're waiting for our souls to catch up. A lot of us crash because we don't intentionally hit the pause button. Jesus paused for a purpose. In fact, he paused to remember his purpose. It says he left and he went out. To find that solitary place. But the people came chasing after him. And you remember he said, they said, hey, come back to our town. And he said, but I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. That is why he was sent. He was remembering his why. This is not the only time this happened. 
Luke 4.42, that's this verse. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. Luke 8.22, one day Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now that sounds like he's just giving transport, but you ever hang out and spend a day on the lake? So they got into the boat and they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now we know that story, and we focus on the storm, but Jesus is just resting. Luke 9, 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him, and he went up on a mountainside to pray. This happens over and over and over again in the Gospels, that Jesus withdraws. Max Lucado once said that Christ repeatedly escaped the noise of the crowd just so that he could hear the voice of the Father. You know, I mean, there are many books written about this, right? I mean, I, I like those old margin books. They're literally titled Margin. There's a, there's a couple of them that are written. But margin is this idea that, that we don't use everything we've got. Right? In food, we call it leftovers. In money, we call it reserve or savings. At work, we might refer to it as a sabbatical in our schedule. We'll call it downtime. In football, it's a timeout or halftime. In music, it would be the rest notes. Have you ever heard music with no rest notes? We call it noise. It's what I played when I was little on the piano. Not music. Noise. See, the bottom line, and the one thing I'm trying to convince us of today, if you're taking notes, the backside of your notes page, is that like Jesus, I too, I too need to adjust my pace to embrace my purpose. I need to adjust my pace to embrace my purpose. So let me be clear about the gospel right now. The gospel is not I was good enough, and I slowed down enough, or I rested enough, or I did enough spiritual habits. That's not what we're talking about here today. When I say that, like Jesus, I too need to adjust my pace to embrace. This is not about getting me saved. This is about discipleship. Because I am saved, the gospel is I can't do enough, and when I try to do enough, I fall short. That's why I feel the addiction to the need for speed. And the gospel is that Jesus died in my place so that I can, now get this, so that I can, and we would say, be saved. But there's a very biblical concept around the idea that Jesus died and did the work so that I can rest. It's what Sabbath rest is pointing us to. So that I cannot have to warp my soul by living at warp speed. The gospel says that everything Jesus has done is good enough. And what I'm going to suggest to us is that part of our addiction to going and going and going is that we feel the need to still prove something to God. And we still feel the need to prove something to everybody else. And proving something is really about religion. And salvation is really about grace. 
And when I accept grace, it becomes my identity. Do you remember this? We talked about this weeks ago. That my new identity in Christ is that I am a child of God. And as a child of God, I am loved. And as a child of God, I am graced. You say, but I don't have time to rest. As a child, I do. As one who is loved, I do. But I have to keep up. Why? Because I have things to get done. Why? Because I put lots of things on my schedule. Why? Because I'm trying to prove myself to certain people. Why? See, if I really get back to my identity, my identity is not about what any of y'all think. My identity is not about what any of them out there and those over there think. My identity is who does God say I am? God says I am his. And because of that, just think about this. If Jesus, the savior of the world, had to slow down and intentionally prioritize times of solitude and prayer, what makes me think I'm the exception to that? What, because I'm called by God to preach the gospel? What was he doing? But, uh, like, like the Savior of the world is not an exception, but I am. Luke's gospel goes out of his way, as we've seen, to point out the number of times that Jesus went away, that he pulled away from our crowd. A friend of mine wrote that we suffer from perpetual motion sickness, that weariness is often revealed in a full schedule, and the ubiquitous electronic umbilical cord we carry around with us. He said, we wrestle with resting. And why do we find it so hard to slow down? Because our culture doesn't think it's normal. In our culture, for someone to be busy is a sign that they're in high demand. And to slow down or to take rest seriously, to open up blank space in my schedule for doing nothing, well, that feels inefficient. And inefficient feels like ineffective. And ineffective is not very away from incompetent. We don't want anybody thinking we're incompetent. Have you noted that Jesus was never in a hurry when you read his story? If he ever was, it was that sense in which there was a, there's a turning point in each of the Gospels where he puts his face towards Jerusalem and says, it's time. Basically, everything I've been telling you, it's time. I must go. If there's ever any hurry in Jesus' life, it's that. And I don't even think that was hurried. Jesus was never in a hurry, and he was never late. And the question is, can I walk at the pace Jesus walks? I use the word walk. In the last century, a Japanese theologian, a missionary, and an important innovator named Kosuke Koyama, and I'm certain I am messing up his name wrote a book, it's actually a collection of essays called Three Mile an Hour God. And I've at least read the, the titled essay, and here's basically what he says. This was published in 1979. That may sound ancient. 
I was born in the 1970s. Maybe I'm ancient. But here's what he wrote. He said, God walks slowly because God is love. If he is not love, he would move much faster. Love has its speed. Love is an inner speed, a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. Love is slow, and yet it is Lord over all the other speeds since it is its own speed. Love goes on its speed in the depths of our life, whether we notice it or not. Whether we are currently hit by a storm or not, it goes on at three miles an hour. The reason three miles an hour is the speed of love because it is the speed that humans walk. It is the speed we walk, love is, three miles an hour. And therefore, it is the speed that the love of God chooses to walk. And we wear our busyness like a badge of honor. Come to church. How are you doing? I'd say this all the time. I'm busy. And yet Jesus, who is God, who is love, walks at three miles an hour. We serve a three-mile-an-hour God. So really quickly, I want to give us... Notice how I said that. Four benefits to slowing my pace and pausing on purpose. Slowing is good for my soul, number one, because slowing affirms my need for rest and renewal. This is what I'm talking about when I say intense serving needs to be followed by times of unintense easing. I don't necessarily mean easiness, but I do believe that there is something to recovery, to renewal, that when I'm facing pressure and stress, that I too need to remember my purpose in this world, but to be able to connect with God and remember my purpose in this world, I'm going to have to slow down and let my soul catch up. This is why Jesus paused often. It's why I believe he practiced what the Hebrews thought of as Sabbath keeping. He just didn't do it the way the religious leaders wanted him to because that had all their rules attached to it. Slowing affirms my need for renewal, my need for rest. Number two, slowing makes it possible to listen to my soul. When I'm flying around at 80 miles an hour, I have no idea what my soul is telling me. When I bounce from appointment to appointment to appointment, I have no idea what my soul is telling me. And I'm confessing this in not so good a way. I, as your pastor, slide into an appointment with you. You schedule lunch, or you schedule counseling, or you schedule something of this nature, and I slide in at 80 miles an hour. How can I listen to you when I Slowing makes it possible to listen to what's deep inside of me. It allows my soul to catch up. I can catch my breath. I can catch my... My nefesh, my numa, my soul. Number three, slowing makes space for Jesus to work the fruit of his spirit in my life. Slowing makes space. You remember last week we were talking about the vine, our connection to the vine, and we talked about trellises, right? And trellis creates space for the vine to grow. 
right? And the spiritual habits in our lives, like slowing, make actual space for Jesus to work the fruit of his spirit. So the fruit of the spirit are simple, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can you tell me which one of those you achieve by hurry? I hurry my way into patience a lot. <laughs> Kindness. I walked into Costco yesterday. I got the, you know, the little magic card to get you in the door, right? Showed him the Costco card. I thought, you know, this guy probably gets no appreciation for the work that he does. So I expressed some appreciation. And I thought, you know, I, these people need to be treated more kindly. I spent 20, 30 minutes making my way around the store. I picked up the things I needed to pick up, and I got in the line. You know, the line before you get in the lines. And by the time I checked out and, you know, I, I had one of those. I was in the self-checkout line because I always like doing the work for which I'm not getting paid. And I was in one of the self-checkout lines that didn't have the hand scanner, so now I've got to take the big toilet paper out, right, to get it to get bink on the thing. And I bink back in my cart. You know what it says. You got to put it in the. I'm like, they never put the toilet. They put the toilet paper back in the cart when they scan it. Why can't? So by the time I left the store, I'm in a hurry to get out. I have no kindness left in confession right? By the time the guy, and then at Costco, you know, you wait to leave as well. You get in line for them to check your receipt, right? And we pay money for this good privilege, right? Right? And so I'm in line to exit, and, I'm, and they have two sides of that. And like you, I'm always going, which one's going to get me out the door faster? The one on the right or the one on the left? One on the right, one on the left. And I left the store immediately confronted by the fact that I went in thinking about a man who never gets kindness, and all I could think of when it was time to go is get me out of here. Hurry never leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Number four, let's fill in some more blanks and we'll finish. Slowing clarifies both my why and my why not. Slowing allows me to clarify both my why and my why not. You see it here in the story of Jesus. The people come chasing after him. They're ready to pull him back to town. And he says, I can't go back. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. And it says he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Slowing clarifies both my why and my why not. Slowing helps me avoid the squirrels. That's the why nots. You know, chasing squirrels is fun when you're a pup. But we do it all the time, right? We chase squirrels right and left. 
People bring squirrels to us all the time, distractions, misdirections, get busy over here, pay attention to that over there. Slowing helps me know, yeah, that's not my purpose, I'm not going to do that. Slowing helps me remember my why, it helps me adjust my priorities. It helps me know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Clearly, Jesus was saying yes to the good news. Jesus was saying yes to the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying yes. And, and, and in essence, this temptation is actually the same temptation he, he, he faced out in the wilderness. Like, do what you're going to do, but just focus on us. Don't do it for all the world. I think that same temptation honestly showed up on the cross. Remember, come down and save yourself. Right? He could come down and save himself, but he wouldn't have saved us. So two questions to ask every time I pause. I wrote in my notes, why am I here? Why am I here? What is my why? And I have to over and over and over remember my why. And there's some decent secular books written these days about this exact concept, like remember your why. The funny thing about that is that the scriptures have been telling us to remember our why for thousands and thousands of years, and we write a book in 2000-something, and it makes a billion dollars because people think, oh, this is new. But from a spiritual standpoint, we remember our why is connected to that identity that I am a child of God, and whatever my why is, is connected to what it means to be a son or a daughter of the king. And if I'm struggling with my why, which quite honestly a lot of us struggle with, then I need to remember my who. Why am I here and who am I here for? Who am I here for? He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. I'm not just here for me. I'm here for God. Which is sort of an amazing thought. Because God doesn't need me. But he's put me here to love me. I'm here for my family. You know that feeling of being at home but not being at home? Like, I'm present, but I'm not present. All comes from the hurry. All comes from the busyness. All comes because I feel the need, the need for speed. So I've got one more thing I want to show you, and then I'm going to do our two prayers to close our service. All right? You may have heard there's a comedian, great guy, called Michael Jr., and he does these funny little ditties about various times, but he recently shared a video where he was, he does, does stand-up comedy. In the middle of his shows, he takes a break, and he kind of interacts with the audience a little bit and does these fun little things. And I, I'm going to let him pick it up and connect it for you, but we have a video, don't we? This is called, How Do I Know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know, the next thing they say is, what? How do I know What? But the key really isn't to know what, the key is to know why. Because when you know your why, you have options on what your what can be. For instance, my why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. My what is stand-up comedy. My what is writing books. My what can be going out with some friends to eat. In fact, another what that has moved me towards my why is a, a web series that we have out now called Break Time. So every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, you should subscribe to the, to the channel. Uh, we do a series called Break Time on YouTube. 
So three o'clock, we drop a new album. In particular, I'm about to show you a clip too. We were in, uh, we were in Winston-Salem. So break time, this is how it works. I travel the country, I do stand-up comedy, probably an hour, hour and a half at an event. And in the middle of my show, I'll just sit down and start talking to the audience. And funny just happens. Or I'll meet somebody who's really interesting. So I met this one guy, and he said that he teaches music at a school. I was like, all right, you teach music, you know, um, can you sing? And then uh, I'm just going to show you the clip. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple Let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That rock could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the So here's the thing. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what has more impact because you're walking in or towards your purpose. It's called, how do I know? And a lot of times when people hear the phrase, how do I know, the next... I think it just looped, so uh, it stops there. That was worth the price of admission, right? 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 I mean, you may not remember a word I say today, but you will be looking up Michael Jr. next time you need to hear Amazing Grace, because that was beyond amazing. And here's, here's what I know. God, is, God has put us on this planet to preach the same good news. But, but like, like we miss here, we miss here the word preach, because we're like, yeah, I don't preach. You have a why as a child of the king. That's to live for his glory and to share his story. And it's beautiful. But most of the time, we don't feel it. Because what we feel is the need. 
the need for speed. I want to pray our two closing prayers. Then we'll come back and sing a song. We always end our messages with two prayers. The first, a prayer of salvation. The second, a prayer of application, a prayer of discipleship. If you need Jesus today, the gospel is clear that he died for your sins, that he died because, frankly, not only are you not good enough, but because you try to be. He died so that you could be God's. And so if you need Jesus today, all you've got to do is turn to him. Lay your life bare before him. And ask him to be your God, to take over, to put your faith in him, to believe that he died for your sins and rose again. Would you pray with me like that? Maybe online, maybe here in the room. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Jesus, I turn to you. And I give you my life. I ask you to be my God. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in you. And I ask you to fill me with you. And Jesus, help me to walk each day at your pace. Speed. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer today, online or in person, man, we'd love to celebrate that. It's such a big deal. We'd love to cheer you on. We'd love to help you, support you. Talk about baptism, talk about church, talk about the Bible. We'd love to help. Just let us know. You can let us know in person. You can let us know on a communication card. You can tell somebody who you are watching with, someone you're here with. For that matter, you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurchugene.com. A lot of you prayed a prayer like that quite a while ago, but you know what it means to live at the speed of hurry. Maybe today you need this prayer of discipleship, and if you do, pray this prayer of application with me. Dear Jesus, I, I know you know what intensity and pressure and hurry feel like. And so thank you for modeling the slower life for me. Thank you that you fulfill what it means to be right and righteous. Help me to rest in you. Help me to remember to pause to schedule times of renewal after times of busy servanthood. And more than anything, Jesus, help my soul to walk slow enough to be loved by you and let your love walk to others through me. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I love you. I'm so glad you guys are here. If I can serve you in some way, I'll be outside right after this. We're